You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy Podcast Nation. This is Todd Yuri, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I search for champions of pharmacy, people that are standing out in our industry. Women in pharmacy have become incredible leaders. 56% of our pharmacists are women. And the things that they are doing today to set the bar higher for our profession is absolutely incredible. Susie Solomon, Dr. Solomon, formed the largest Facebook group on planet Earth for a group of pharmacists called Pharmacist Moms. And I've been so excited to see her um, her success and, and many things that she's done. Dr. Kimber Booth is um, a, a, a professor of excellence and strategy for health system pharmacy. And she's joined the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We can't wait to hear more from her. Someone I found on LinkedIn, I can't tell you the value that I get from that social media platform and LinkedIn. And and I, I started searching for different pharmacist leaders for uh, Pharmacist Month and uh, Pharmacist Week to really feature people that are standing out. And someone that I was upset that I haven't known more of this amazing woman earlier in my life in pharmacy. And she's been around. So it's not like she just popped up recently all over the news. Uh, she's done TED Talks. Dr. Ravina Kohler is an infectious disease global expert and researcher. She spent the last 15 years researching specifically in infectious disease space. What better place to be right now, especially with this pandemic and the resources that she is providing through her consultancy called dusani.com. That's D-U-X-S-A-N-A.com. It will be in the show notes. Quite interesting. Over 40 research papers. She's been invited worldwide to speak on infectious diseases and, to, and antibiotics. So I want to welcome Dr. Ravina Kohler to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Thank you, Todd, for having me here. I am so excited to be invited and uh, to share any of my expertise to everyone that's listening to, um, you know, to just guide them and to uh, maybe have them take action. Absolutely. When did your career as a pharmacist start to take fire where you you were being sought after to speak on infectious diseases and how antibiotics are becoming challenged in, in doing and designed what they're supposed to be doing and all of a sudden we're getting to a facet of healthcare and the evolution of humanity where it's starting to be challenged, which is a little bit scary. But when did when did other organizations and news organizations and even the the TED Talk organization when did they start reaching out to you? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I um, I would say all my research throughout my fel- I did an infectious disease fellowship and with Mike Ryback in Detroit, and and then I moved on and was faculty at Oregon for quite some time. And then I moved to Los Angeles. So I would say I got seeked out to uh, serve as a TED speaker um, in 2017. I spoke in 2018. So it was when I moved to Los Angeles and I, I think it was just all of the research I was doing, all of the public health advocacy work that I was doing in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, I saw a special need in nursing home patients. 
and there being appropriate antibiotic utilization. So I actually was the founder in creating uh, a change there here in um, in Los Angeles in creating antibiotic stewardship in uh, nursing homes. And so I would say that was the probably the uh, the conduit to um, to Ted finding me and then uh, me in- interviewing to be a TED speaker and then me being selected. But I do want to take a step back and just state that I couldn't have done this without myself. If it wasn't for the fellowship that I did with Dr. Mike Ryback and Dr. Susan Davis, who are substantial leaders in pharmacy, I don't think I would have had the confidence that, that I developed over time to be the pharmacist that I am right now. That's interesting. And I I know that my career has been impacted by specific individuals over the years, and especially in pharmacy specifically, uh, starting out as a pharmacy management um, business development person for soft writers out of Pittsburgh um, was the start of my career in pharmacy. And it was invaluable. Just just the knowledge that I received by listening to, to independently owned institutional pharmacies who concentrate on geriatric and senior care uh, opened my eyes to an opportunity to become a conduit of knowledge in technology, the merging of technology and clinical, allowing, to far, allowing a pharmacist to do what they do best and then, um, and then really wrap that around um, other people in networking and the power of what networking can do for not only your career personally, but the impact it's going to have on other providers and then ultimately our patients. What was interesting also about you, you are a, a previous fellow Pittsburgher like me, which is awesome, um, and in your younger years, but then you were gravitated towards um pharmacy. So how did that even start? How did you, what, what made you want to become uh, a PharmD? Yeah. So, um, you know, I went to, uh, I, after undergrad, I, um, I took a year off and I think that was actually one of the wisest decisions, but scariest decisions at the same time, because, you know, you see all of your colleagues maybe moving on to the next step. And I feel like I went through all the pre-med, um, pre-med program and I was very uh, focused in undergrad. I ran cross country and track, plus I had a fully, um, you know, full plate of school um, on, my, uh, on my platter. And so I took a year off and during the summer, I used to do research at a lab at Harvard Medical School. And I would say that, um, that mentor help guide me into pharmacy. I, I triple majored during, during undergrad in business, um, biology and chemistry. And he told me to take a step back and think about what I really, what I, what out of those I really loved. And I would say chemistry is something I really loved. And he set me up with a clinical pharmacist, a NICU pharmacist, in Boston and um, I saw what she did for patients and how valued she was in the clinical side of things. And I knew right away then that I wanted to be a pharmacist and I wanted to do a clinical residency. I wanted to do the research. So I went into pharmacy school knowing that I wanted to do a residency, wanted to do a fellowship and I wanted more for myself. Um, so I would say, you know, it's been all mentors that have guided me throughout the way. And then realizing that, um, you know, pharmacists have such a great and um, great role that they play in clinical care. 
Absolutely. And something that I was very interested in you coming on uh, the show to, to really dig into is we are in the middle of a pandemic. This has never happened in our lifetimes before. And the need for pharmacists in the community space, in the hospital setting, in specialty diseases, and just like you and I with our backgrounds in senior care, they're needed pharmacists. They're needed more than ever. The U.S. Center uh, for Disease Control officials announced that there was a national action plan to fight antibiotic-resistant uh, infections. Um, bacteria that cause these diseases cannot be treated currently by the available antibiotics that are available to us, um, and, and that that's danger to to patients who suffer with many different infections. Um, what is happening in our world right now, um, uh, Dr. Caller, that you can kind of give our listeners kind of a heads up on uh, with regards to infectious diseases? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you right now, this is an unprecedented time in that there has there's been no dress rehearsal for this pandemic. So I think that, you know, us as clinicians, we have to step up as leaders and, you know, something about this virus is that it doesn't care about politics, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, and we have to keep that in the back of our minds. Don't get involved in the minutia of the politics, of anything else that's there, um, not that is not having this pandemic progress further in terms of um, in terms of us fighting this pandemic. So as clinicians, we have to be the educators. We have to be uh, have science there. We have to lead with science, lead with evidence, and we have to step up as 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 the leaders in this. And this is where our call to action has come. We have to all step up. It's and as pharmacists, we have such an active role to play as educators, as as deciding as to which drugs are the best drugs. There's so many drugs that are out there right now in this pandemic that, that physicians, that um, nurses, they're dying to know more about. We are here to provide that education, the mechanism of action. What is the science behind it? What is the algorithm? When would you use one drug over the other? Um, and you know that, that's a very serious role that we play and we should take it, uh, take it to heart. 2.8 million Americans are now diagnosed with drug-resistant infections annually, like uh, MRSA, MRSA, can spread uh, in public places, obviously, where C. diff typically circulates in healthcare facilities. And I'm thinking of methicillin, if I'm saying that correctly, resistant, how do you say it, Staphylococcus. I can never say things. That's why I'm not a pharmacist. That's why I'm pharmacist number one fan. So methicillin, can you dig into that specifically. Why is that uh, not working on the uh, virus that it's supposed to be working on? Definitely. So the, the bacteria Staphylococcus aureus, and that's typically a skin infection that we, you know, that's just a part of our normal flora. But once it gets inside of our body, that's what leads to actual bacterial infection or a wound infection um, or, or a deeper infection than that. So methicillin is, uh, is in the same drug category as penicillin. So unfortunately, there has been an overuse of penicillin since it was discovered uh, by Alexander Fleming all the way back um, back in the early, it was the 1960s. Uh, ever since it was discovered, it was used uh, 
exponentially by in war um, and also just inappropriately. And so that's what we saw is that penicillin obviously developed resistance and all of the drug uh, drugs in that category develop resistance. So that's what showed, that's what that methicillin resistance staphylococcus Staphylococcus aureus signifies is that that organism has developed resistance to the number one drug that should work against it. So what that means is that we have to use these uh, broader spectrum antibiotics or these antibiotics, which are IV, uh, to fight this uh, th- fight this bacteria. And we're seeing that with a lot of other bacteria as well. It's not just MRSA. It's um, you know CRE, which is a carbapenemase resistant Enterobacteriaceae. Uh, carbapenem is our workhorse antibiotics, where it is the last resort when you're on your deathbed and and you and a doctor is going to reach out for this antibiotic, saying this should work. But unfortunately, because of the overuse of antibiotics, that we there's such a high resistance now to the carbapenem class of antibiotics. So. Um, you know, we have to take action. I think actually antibiotic resistance is a bigger threat than this pandemic. And we're left with um, minimal antibiotics in the pipeline. And um, there will be a time then that our kids and our kids' kids will have no antibiotics for a simple cut, for a simple surgery, um, or for, for other simple procedures. That's scary. That is that is scary. There's a goal in place by CDC by 2025 um, to form an, a new level of research-based evidence that can show where we go from here in the development of other antibiotics. And this plan also includes the establishment of something called the Center of Excellence for Whole Genome Sequencing. And I absolutely love the whole concept of of genome sequencing and pharmacogenomics and how the DNA makes up um, a specific way that some people uh, respond to antibiotics versus other people. And that's fascinating to me. Have you ever kind of done any of the research under genome sequencing at all? You know, I haven't done it myself, but I've collaborated with some researchers that um, have done some whole genome sequencing, and I think it's definitely a piece of um, piece of the uh, puzzle of solving this whole AMR issue and other disease states as well. That has to be incorporated into research to really find out more about a patient's genome uh, to get the most appropriate care to them, and also dig in into risk factors as to as to identifying those individuals that may fare worse from the beginning through whole genome sequencing and targeting them from the get-go. So I agreed with your statement earlier that this is a uh, non-political situation that our nation is is in. And then the other side of this is is the world at large because diseases and uh, bacteria and molecules, they don't care about borders and they jump on planes with us and commute and the railings on uh, staircases and, and so on. And, you know, the the United States pulling away from some of the world stance organizations that come together to research uh, things like anti-resistance um, to um, to diseases, to viruses, 
that in of itself is scary. And I, I understand I've read into the reason why I know that many of our Facebook loving community will just read a byline or just read a tag and then they make decisions without really digging into the reason. So uh, I'm not like that. I like to, to think of that middle ground of being able to take uh, the reasons, uh, structural taxes, um, you know, non-representation of these world organizations and why the United States may or may not be involved. But regardless of that, uh, Dr. Collar, it's still taking place. So things are changing. Um, the diseases and viruses are becoming more serious. We're in this pandemic. Who knows what's going to happen to COVID-19 if it morphs into something else by this time next year. So when you think of this, and that in itself, the whole subject can bring stress to people thinking about it. But when you're thinking of this, and, and there's a pharmacist out there listening to this interview, and they have interest in infectious diseases, how can they participate from an information perspective? What organizations do you send um, colleagues to or want to be infectious disease specialists? What, what's your go-to organization for information? Uh, my go-to organization is IDSA, which is the Infectious Disease Society of America. Uh, they actually have a real-time learning network, which is a website created to have all the real-time scientific information on COVID-19, which I'm one of the medical editors to update the website every day on real-time information. That's a great resource, and that's collaborative. It's it incorporates various disciplines because this uh, is this infection is a multi-organ system infection. It's not just infectious disease clinicians have to work together. It's also critical care folks, infection preventionists, uh, emergency care folks. Um, it's the it, it has to be very multidisciplinary. So that's a key uh, site that I go to. I also go to the CDC website. You know they have great resources as well. And there and and the way that you can get involved is actually reach out to your local department of public health, reach out to a hospital, which, um, which might be close to you to find out how you can get involved with education, with, um, with maybe finding out uh, how you can educate yourself. A lot of, um, a lot of these hospitals, they have really good websites with up-to-date information. University of Washington has a very good website on all the COVID therapeutics, uh, on there. Uh, as well as SIDP. SIDP is a Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists. They have updated uh, updated resources on all the therapeutics for COVID-19 as well. One of the strength holds or places where I think as a as a as a non-pharmacist where a pharmacist could have the biggest impact is counseling, a physician collaborator, um, a, a physician about incorrectly prescribing antibiotics, which is contributing to this whole promotion of uh, resistant bacteria. And I know that can be sensitive sometimes. We, we have some physicians who are super open to working with um, collaborative um, relationships with pharmacists. And then we have you know, egos that come in that they, I'm the physician and, and do what I say. So what's your uh, experience in working with physicians that, that listen to something that you bring up that they're like, wow, uh, Dr. Kohler, I didn't realize that. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I've worked with all kinds of physicians that have egos that don't have egos and, you know, in Detroit, in Portland, and then you know, here in Los Angeles and worldwide as well. And what, one thing that what I've realized is you have to develop a relationship with these physicians first for them to really get to know you as a person and for them to really get to know your value. You are not going to develop these relationships from sitting behind a computer. Um, you, you have to go on rounds with them. They, they have to really see your value. So I would say I learned that very early on when I was in Detroit as a resident and fellow that they started to value me when I brought up publications, when I came with evidence, uh, with the evidence after I stated my recommendation. And I recommend that for everyone else to, to, in order for you to be established as a reputable source, you have to develop a relationship with them and they have to see your value. And that comes with from you educating yourself because education is power. And then second of all, is you just developing a relationship with them. Very good advice. The balance between antibiotics used in uh, our animals and livestock and the industry and how that is transferred to impacting humans is extremely interesting. There's been several studies done that I've actually read in preparation for our interview today by the NCBI. And one of them was called the antibiotic resistance crisis. And inside that paper, they really mention where some of this um, antibiotic resistance starts. And it's in the world of, of livestock. I would have never thought of that. Agri agricultural use, including the impact on, on plants and fertilizers and different things that are taking place. And this whole life cycle is something that I would have never thought of, but um, it, it's absolutely true. Where do you think the manufacturers of new antibiotics, where do they start so that they don't run into um, the barriers of, of, a, of a new development not impacting humanity as intended? What have you done in the past in, in understanding where to start in the development of a new antibiotic? Mm -hmm. So for the development of a new antibiotic, there has to be a new mechanism of action of that antibiotic, one that currently does not exist, that uh, that is not developed resistant. So that has to be kept in mind when you know, when any pharmaceutical company is developing a new antibiotic, but it's so difficult to do that. It's easier said than done. And you bring up a very good point about the livestock, about agriculture, about the environment, there being excessive utilization of antibiotics there, actually up to 70% of antibiotics that are inappropriately used are used in those settings. So there has to be an education to those uh, farmers, to, um, to the rest of the individuals which are overusing antibiotics in those settings. And it's a fine balance because, you know, these farmers, uh, they, they also have to make money somehow. And for them, they think that using antibiotics and having these animals in harsh conditions to fight their infections that they inevitably will develop due to close quarters and just inhumane conditions that they, you know, you know that they 
can do that. And I think there has to be a collaboration that comes in place between infectious disease colleagues and the farmers to really work together to solve that issue. But going back to your question, you know, in order for there to be a development of a new antibiotic, it has to be a new mechanism of action, a new class. And that's very difficult to do. And that's why we're in this dire circumstance. Yes, yes. I, I am fascinated by uh, listening to you. Um, I would love to have you come back and discuss other facets of infectious diseases with another pharmacist or physician in a, in a collaborative conversation. I think that would be absolutely fascinating. The whole emerging resistant bacteria is a, is a threat. It's extraordinary. It's interesting. It provides us with um, with opportunities for pharmacists who want to dig into the infectious disease um, sector of healthcare. But I want to thank you, Dr. Kohler, for sharing uh, your time with us today and, um, and and just being here. This this means a lot to me and it means a lot to our listeners. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate it. Just I would just want to say one thing to everyone that's listening. Why not you? If you want to step up, if you want to lead, um, you know, that whether you're an infectious disease or another space, always think, why not you? And that will encourage you, I hope, to, to get out there and take action. Bravo. Bravo. We were talking with Dr. Ravina Kohler. She is an infectious disease global expert. You can find her on LinkedIn. There will be uh, links in our show notes to, um, to give you more information. And as always, I thank you so much for being the hub of healthcare pharmacists out there. We love you. We support you. If you ever need anything, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You can find us on all social media platforms at pharmacy podcast. And uh, once again, thank you so much for listening to the pharmacy podcast.